You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. How many of you, uh, at, at times in your life, you think crazy stuff? Anybody else in here think crazy things? Like, you just think, if anybody else around me knew what I was thinking, they would think I'm crazy. And I want you to know you're in good company, because we're all a bit crazy, we're totally diverse, we're individuals, we are created in the image of God, we are a display of His creativity. God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. He loves you so much. And yet we look at stories in the Bible where we begin to question, well, God, do you really love me? Do you love me? Do you love people like I would look in the Bible and think, do you, did you love those people? Do, are you going to love me any different than what we see in the Bible? And today we're going to be people who live by faith, that we believe the love of God, that we believe that he is for us, that we are not an afterthought, that he cares about the intimate and the small details of our lives, that he loves you very, very much. And yet today we're going to look at what it means to live by faith because by faith you can do what seems crazy. If you have your outline, go ahead and take it out of your program. You're going to want that today. Our theme verse from the uh, book of Hebrews chapter 11 is in verses 1 and 2. It says this, Now faith is the confidence of what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not what? See, we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And the author of Hebrews begins by talking about the fact that God started and spoke the universe into being by his word. And then he begins to talk about the faith, the faith of people, people like you and me, who are normal people, but they began to live by faith. And he started with Abel, the faith of Abel. He started with the faith of Enoch. And now he's going to talk about Noah. How many of you have ever seen a movie about Noah? You just need to throw away everything you've ever seen uh, in a movie about Noah because we're going to let the scripture speak about the very real true story of what actually happened to a real man, not some mythological character, but a real man who chose to listen to God, who chose to live by faith. And here's why you need this sermon. Obeying God in our culture will look crazy to other people. But you can do it. And let's be honest, normal isn't working. Right? Let's be honest with ourselves. If you do what is normal, what everybody else seems to be doing, it's not working. They're doing all sorts of hot yoga and everything else they can to find peace. They're not finding peace. They're doing everything they can to make their bodies as great as they can be and our bodies decay. That's just not going to last. Our, our world is looking for meaning in materialism and it just doesn't satisfy. We're trying to raise our kids by giving them every exposure to everything under the sun. And instead of controlling and helping their appetites, our children are running lost looking for meaning in life, and they don't find it. And so what I want to say is you can do it. You can learn in our culture to live in a way that obeys God because normal's not working. Authentic faith is going to be demonstrated in your life and my life by deepening obedience. Now, we all go through seasons in our lives where we obey better than at other times, but over the course of time, if we're walking with Jesus, if we're training our ear to listen to the voice of the shepherd, you and I are going to begin to walk with him and our obedience is actually going to deepen. It's going to get better in many, many ways. And we're going to look at why it takes faith to obey. So if you have your Bible, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says, by faith, Noah 
when warned about things not yet what? Seen, right? Remember, faith is without seeing. When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. So we got this interesting picture, a New Testament scholar who's referring back to the very real historical account of Noah and his family. And he's saying that Noah has faith and by his faith, it says he condemned the world. And it sounds like Noah was out there preaching condemnation to people. Like, I know what's right and you're all crazy and you don't know. And as if he was doing that, but the illustration from his life is not that he was out there shaking his finger in condemnation of people, but rather that through his obedience to do what God told him to do by his obedience to build the ark, year after year, he was, in a sense, inheriting righteousness while everybody else inherited, obviously, a judgment based on the wrath of God. So he wasn't breathing condemnation and threat to his culture. He was believing God. So let's briefly talk about what the environment was like before the flood. All we can do, since you weren't there, since I wasn't there, all we can do is look at what the scriptures say the world was like before the flood. And so we're going to look, if you have your Bible, flip all the way back to the first book of the Bible in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. It says, Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent what? Hadn't sent rain on the earth. And there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. So what was the condition of the world before the flood? Before God sent the first rains, springs came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. So you need to note that because we need to know right away, why was the flood such a big deal? Why was it more than just some natural disaster? That people look back or, you know, people are like, well, every culture has a flood in its history. Let me mention to you, they probably all have a flood in their history because there was a really big flood. But over time, some of those stories have gotten twisted. Fortunately for us, we have the unchanging, unstoppable word of God to give us some clarity. And so we need to know what was the condition of the earth before the flood happened. So that's what we see is the condition of the world. Rivers seeped up and over and watered the surface of the whole land. Go with me to Genesis chapter 6 now. We're fast forwarding a little bit ahead to the account of Noah. Chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Some people, some accounts say gopher wood. But cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. If you're taking notes today, you need to realize something. That the world thinks it's crazy to listen to God and obey. 
I think it's crazy. What, you, you talk to God and God's Holy Spirit begins to speak to you, that you're training your ear to hear the voice of God, that God's gonna speak in your inner person, that he's given you a conscience and he's given you a, a spirit of God on the inside of you to be able to communicate to you. God speaks to us through his holy word. God gives us clear instructions on how to do life and how to obey him and to do what pleases him. And by the way, faith pleases God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if we're gonna please God, it's gonna take faith and it's gonna take faith to obey, but the world thinks it's crazy to listen to God and obey what you are hearing. Genesis chapter six, verse 15, God carries on. He says, this is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving the, below the roof an opening about one cubit high all around. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. Okay, that means nothing to me. I don't even know what a cubit is, right? Doesn't mean anything to me. So we gotta put it into context. Uh, this, this ark that God tells Noah to build is 450 feet long. It is 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. Okay, that sounds great, still means nothing to me. So let's put it in context of the room in which we are in right now. <clears throat> this auditorium, from all the way back wall, we're behind the stage, all the way to the back wall, that wall is 150 feet long. The ark was 400 and 50 feet long. It was 75 feet wide. This room is 67 feet wide. From that office to that window, 67 feet at its widest, okay? So a little bit wider than this, and it was a little bit taller than this. This is about two stories, it was three stories, okay? This roof right here is 30 feet high. The ark would have been 45 feet high, so add another 15 feet, another story on top of this building, and now you're beginning to picture the vessel that God told Noah to build to save his family. It's a little bit bigger than eight people need, by the way, <laughs> right? You think your house was big. I can imagine the square footage of a three-deck, three-story house like that, but it was a big, big boat. By the way, the scriptures are clear that Noah was, we talked last week about long ages, that there was extended life because of the environment before the condition of the flood and before sin was taking its you know, firmest hold on everything. It had already taken a firm hold here, but it hadn't yet affected long life. All people died still. Enoch didn't. He was carried away by God. But in this situation, we're seeing that Noah, when he started building the ark, was 500 years old, okay? He was 500 years old when he had his boys. Well, about 100 years later, it's coming to completion that this ark is ready, okay? He's got 100 years to build it. So how did Noah stand in condemnation of his culture? He stood in condemnation of the culture because year after year, he kept building what people would think is crazy, Sometimes you're doing that with your family. You're building and organizing your family in some ways that you're trying to say, I want my children to get an appetite for the Lord Jesus Christ. And people can stand and say, isn't that a little over the top? Isn't that a little crazy? Why would you take your kids to church? Why would you do this? They're gonna say, that's a little crazy. You're gonna say, hey, we're not gonna do everything that people find to do because we wanna operate in our life with some margin because I don't wanna sprint and burn out. That's crazy. You don't fill up your whole weekend, every minute of your whole weekend with things to do? No, you want to have some margin in your weekend. You want to pace your life because God tells us to rest so that we don't burn out. People will think that you're crazy to listen to God and to obey. The story goes on in Genesis 6, 17. It says this, God speaking, I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it 
everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. It's eight people in all. You are to bring into the ark two of every living creature, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. And it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. It's interesting to me. Noah did it how God said to do it. Noah didn't say, you know what, I think it's a little too big. If we could just cut off 150 feet, that would be great. It'd be a lot nicer to just have a little bit. So it'd be actually more aerodynamic, more watertight, waterworthy, Lord. He didn't say any of that kind of thing. What he did is he did everything the way God did it. Noah did it how God said to do it. Let me mention the point there. Authentic faith is demonstrated in a deepening obedience. So not only did he do it how God said to do it, but when we look at chapter 7, verse 5, we find out it says this, and Noah did all the Lord commanded him. So Noah not only did it how God said to do it, but he did all of what God commanded him to do. Sometimes you in your life or my life, we could have partial obedience. Well, yes, God, I'll, I'll do that, but I'm, I'm only going to do part of it. I'm actually not going to do the whole thing. I'm going to just do part of it. You know, I'll watch my words with profanity, but I'm going to gossip all I want, right? So I may not just watch my words in all these ways. I'm just going to do what, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll watch. I'll do part obedience, God. And we don't realize that by faith we can obey and it pleases God according to how he's given us these instructions. Noah did all the Lord commanded him. Verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. And pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds and all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On your outline, you've got this fill in. There are two destructive events that happen in conjunction with one another. Some people think it just rained a lot. Well, that's, that's a lot of rain. 40 days, 40 nights, that's a lot of rain. No, it's worse than that. There were two events that happened in conjunction with one another. The first is that the springs, the water in the earth, the water of the earth, this thing that would seep out and soak everything, that those springs burst forth. There was a massive disruption of water pouring out from land, like almost like there's a water balloon under the soil and it just bursts and the, and the water comes up, it explodes out, and then the heavens were opened. And the condition of the earth, some people speculate that there may have been a water canopy around the earth different than what you and I experience with clouds and, and all that goes on with that. That it was basically like a water canopy. If you could picture a big water balloon around the earth and if God took a pin and just poked it, that that water came and kept coming and coming and coming. In fact, it may have been the kind of condition in the environment that allowed for long life and, certain long life and then huge gigantism in certain creatures. A tropical environment almost worldwide. But things changed when the wrath of God came against sin. I want you to know that it was unlike anything the world has ever experienced. 
if you go on to read the story of Noah chapter six, all the way through the end of chapter nine, you'll realize that the waters covered the entire earth and the highest mountains to over 15 cubits deep, whatever that means. But it was unlike anything, anything with the breath of life, the breath of life perished. God radically shifted the environment that previously allowed this long life or this gigantism in certain species. His wrath against sin, listen to me, God's wrath against sin literally changed the world. It changed the environment of the world. It changed the world as we know it. And even God's pouring out destructive wrath against sin didn't stop all life from happening. You would think that suddenly Noah and his family would come out of the ark and the environment of the world would have been so radically shifted that they couldn't live, but God's hands aren't tied. God can do what he wants to do. And God can radically shift the environment. And God can correct the environment. And God can do all sorts of things with the environment. And he can do it because it's his world. He knows how it all works. In his grace, he still allowed life, though the environment had radically shifted as a youth pastor, for years, we used to take our students to the Natural History Museum in Denver, Colorado. And it's one of the finest dinosaur exhibits in the world. And so what you do is you go there and you see these bones all over the place. In fact, there's this one kind of like balcony area and it stands over the floor where they assemble all the dinosaurs and then they have all the bones that are like whitewashed. You know what I'm talking about? The big, huge, massive, like this is a tibia from something. And you don't even know what it is, but it's just massive, huge. And they've got all those things. And we used to take the students up on top and say, look out there. Look at all that. What do you see? And the students would look over and they'd be like, dinosaurs? We're like, nope. Bones? Nope. They'll be like, well, what do you think we see? I think you're seeing a sobering demonstration of the wrath of God against sin. Look at that. Do you realize you don't have fossils unless you have instant compassion, compaction, burial, and pressure? Well, what would so radically shift our world almost like on any other time that would radically allow so many creatures to be buried and fossilized? I believe the springs birthed forth. I believe the heavens opened up and it was unlike anything the world had ever seen. So here's Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives, and they're starting over like the first family on earth. Genesis chapter 9, verse 12. God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature is with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring the clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. God gives them a sign. Why do you think that might be important? 
Why would God give them a sign? He says, in fact, it's a, it's a covenant sign. It's a sign that reminds when God sees it, it reminds him, I'm not destroying the earth with a flood again. But it's also a sign that when Noah and his family and all generations see it, that when you look up and you see a rainbow in the sky, that is a reminder to you, it's a billboard that says, God will not destroy the entire earth with a flood ever again. Let me tell you, that before the flood, we have no indication in Scripture of rain. At the flood, the rains began. When you get out of the ark, what happens the next time that you see big clouds coming your way? Yikes! Is God mad at us? Did God, is he going to get us again? This is new. We don't know what happens here. Now we've got clouds that move around, and we've got rain that falls regularly. And how do we know that this isn't going to you know, get us all killed again? They'd be like, back to the ark! God gave them a sign, a sign of his covenant, a sign of his peace, and it's a sign that God gives to you and me. Number of, uh, about a year ago, Heather and I went out to shoot, uh, photograph the sunset, and we went out to an area uh, nearby where you can see a lot of birds landing, and there's water, and we were like looking out, so we're looking to the west, and we're, my, my truck's kind of facing this way, and we're looking back this direction at the sunset, and it's, I'm going, I don't know, it, it might peak under the clouds. Eventually, it peaked under the clouds, and I was like, it just, it's not going to be a great sunset. It's just not, and so we're looking, we're kind of waiting, and so I turned to say something to Heather, and as I turned turn from looking back this way and I turn and look this way, I realize the whole time we have been looking the wrong direction. Because when I look this way, there's a massive double rainbow behind Heather. There it is. Right? So the whole time I'm going, what's the sunset going to do? I don't think the sunset's going to be that great. And I turn around, I'm like, what? So like we jump out of the truck, it's raining on us, and I'm like trying to shield the camera, but we take this picture of the rainbow. There's another one. I zoomed in with my long lens because I was like, I never see a rainbow like that. I zoomed in at this tree that was in this rainbow. And so I look at it and I'm, when I got it and I was looking at the picture after, I'm like, man, there's all these weird lines. I don't understand what all those weird lines are going down my picture. Is it like corrupted? I realized, um, Dave, that's rain. It's a rainbow. So when you zoom in real close, guess what you're going to see? Right. So that's what's happening. Like you just never see it like that, right? What is that? God gives you and I a billboard. God gives you a sign that means one thing, only one thing. And that one thing is that he will never destroy the earth again with a flood. If you read and know your Bible, you know in the future, after Jesus comes back, after he takes us to be with him, when he creates new heavens and new earth, he destroys it all with fire and he starts over and it's a radically shifted environment again. God can do what God wants to do. And some of us say, well, how could God do that? How could God literally wipe out all those people? Why did he only warn Noah? And I gotta help you understand that in the Old Testament so often we see God's going to act justly based on the wrath that he rightfully should have as a pure God against sin. But Jesus hadn't died yet. Please understand that the same wrath that God poured out on the world against sin here is the wrath he poured out on Jesus on the cross. 
So God is not saying, I'm going to do to the whole world what I'm not willing to do to myself. Instead, in fact, he said, I'm going to go hang on a cross and let all the wrath against all the sin of the world be against me. And that wrath can be turned aside and now grace and love can be given to you. In fact, it's an act of my love. It's the same wrath. God's not doing to the world what he wasn't going to allow to have happen to himself. Let me say something People all the time misjudge God. God, how could you do that? How could you send good people to hell? Let me tell you something. You show me somebody who's actually a good person, like good through and through, they've never sinned, then I would say, okay, then in that case, God would be unjust. But you and I all know everyone has sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one deserves life. We all, you know what we all deserve? We all deserve hell. Because so often we're the ones who bring hell on earth, aren't we? And isn't it the evil one who wants to steal and kill and destroy and cause you and I to get off mission? All of that we deserve, but the beautiful thing of the grace of God is that we all deserve to go there, but that God would offer salvation to those who would receive him. And that's grace. He didn't have to, but he loved to. And he loved it this much. It's what he did. The question is, what are you going to tell God to do or not to do? Number four in your outline, authentic faith leaves God the option to say no. The number one problem I believe in our culture right now is that we want to believe in God, but not allow him to say no to what we want to do. God, I want to put my faith in you. I want to believe in you, but I don't want to believe you when you tell me to live a certain way. I don't want to believe you when you tell me to not do certain things that it seems like everybody else is doing. Everybody else does that, and maybe it's got some benefits for them. It seems like it might have some benefits for me. And we don't want to allow God to say no to us. Let me ask you, if you're simply adding faith to your life and living just like everyone else, is your faith authentic at all? If you just say, God, I want to believe in you, but God, I'm not going to believe you, and I'm not really actually going to follow you, is your faith authentic? No way. You're just a deist. You believe there's a God out there somewhere, but you're going to live your life as you're going to live your life. So one of the marks of people who begin to live and begin to walk by faith, because it takes it, it's people who have an ongoing obedience with God, a deepening obedience with God. But you got to examine yourselves. I mean, all the time I'll talk to people, well, we got a Christian relationship because we met on Christian Mingle. <laughs> I wouldn't judge it based just on that. I mean, I just know that there's a lot of Christians out there who want to mingle. It may not mean that they're actually... A Christian godly relationship is your relationship pursuing God. Are you training your ear to listen to the voice of the shepherd? Are you hearing from him in his word? And are you doing not just life how he told you to do it, but all that he told you and I to do? Are we walking in a deepening obedience? Are we giving God in our lives the opportunity to say no? I mean, sometimes people be like, well, God, I'd just be much more comfortable just tipping instead of tithing. Tithing seems a little rigid, Lord. Well, are we, what blessing are we missing out on? If we don't, by faith, trust God with the first of our resources and then go on beyond that. 
Sometimes we're like, well, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to raise my kids a certain way, but I want to give them the best of the world and, and, and give them like the highlights of Christianity. Well, is that going to help them become a fully devoted Christ follower? Do you give God the option to say no? Because authentic faith gives God the option to say no. Again, notice that Noah did it how God said, but he did all that God commanded him to do. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 24, 37 through 39. He said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. He's talking about his return, the return to Christ on earth, what you and I are waiting for, that Jesus comes back. That's what he's talking about. And he refers to himself as the Isaiah passage, the prophecy about the Son of Man. Verse 38, for in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. What's he saying? Jesus is saying, people are gonna live the way they're gonna live. They're gonna be doing things, thinking they have forever to get it figured out. Thinking, I have enough time. I've got plenty of time. I'm just gonna do what people do. They marry and they are given in marriage and they're gonna eat and drink and they're gonna do all the work that they're gonna do and they're gonna keep doing that and then all of a sudden the Son of Man is going to appear. Jesus is going to come back and people will be taken back and surprised at the coming of Jesus because they think we've just been, we're doing what people have been doing forever. We didn't totally know that he was going to come back, at least not that way. And he comes back, and they're going to be surprised. He's going to say, just as people were surprised by the floodwaters, so they're going to be surprised when Jesus comes back. They were surprised by the storm. There will be people who will be surprised that Jesus comes back, and he takes us to be with him. That will be a great day if you're a believer It'll be a day when you reevaluate everything you knew about life if you're not. But Jesus is coming back. So let me ask you, until Jesus comes back, and when we consider deepening obedience, number five, what storm is unavoidable if I keep on carrying on? What storm is unavoidable if I keep on carrying on? So unless change happens... If I just keep living my life like I'm living my life, what storm will sin carry me into? If I don't work toward deepening obedience in my life, what storm is out there that's almost inevitable? Is it that I keep walking and spending money the way I spend and all of a sudden now I'm in debt? Is it that you keep doing what you're doing and you're going to try to self-sabotage your marriage or you're going to self-sabotage your academics or you're going to self-sabotage your relationships with your kids? Are you going to self-sabotage yourself in the workplace? What storm will come if you keep delaying and stalling and disciplining in a godly way your kids? What storm is coming if you don't deal with their behavior? What storm will come if you keep ignoring God and don't deal with who Jesus Christ is? You might be here and not be a person of faith yet, but this is a great place for you to explore it. But there comes a time when all that exploration, getting all the questions you have to answer are important, but then there comes a moment where you have to step out by faith because you'll always have another question. 
You'll always think of something else. Well, I can't jump into this until I get that one answered. And then, whoa, I can't jump into this until I get that one answered. That you will fill up your entire lifespan with questions. And you will stall and delay the inevitable. What storm is coming if you don't decide who Jesus Christ really is? So number six on your outline. And you can write that in there, by the way. God's Spirit may be speaking to you right now. You might say, hey, I think, honestly, let's just be honest, between yourself and God and others, your outline is for you, it's for nobody else, but what storm would be inevitable if you just want to believe in God, but you're not believing God and beginning to live by faith? Number six, by faith, I must do more than believe, I must take the next step. And that's all it is. How do you deepen obedience? You just take the next step. You just listen to the voice of the shepherd and you do it how he says to do it. And then you do all of what he commanded you to do. And when you don't, then you, again, you just turn yourself around, you begin again. It's not rocket science, it's relationship. It's improving that five years from now, could your relationship with Christ be deeper? Could your ear be tuned five years from now to hear the voice of God differently than you hear it right now? How would that improve the quality of your life? It'd be amazing. We begin to walk. So deepen your obedience. Choose life. Choose hope. Choose purity. Choose gratitude. Choose to plant a seed of faith in somebody who doesn't know God at all. That you're saying, I'm going to begin to have some conversations with somebody because I love them. And I want them to know who Jesus is. Choose to set a goal. Choose to dream big. Take the next step. For some of you, that next step might be baptism. You say, I have believed in God, but one of the things I need to do is believe God and be baptized. Because he said to be baptized. The first thing you do as a believer is you should be baptized. So maybe for you, it's that step. I'm going to take a step to be baptized. Maybe for some of you, you've been going and you're like, I'm doing life and I'm doing it on my own and I'm, I think I'm doing okay, God, and I'm trying to believe in you and spend time with you, but I'm on my own and God's saying, get in the ark. Get in the ark of a circle group. You are isolated more than you know. Get in a community of people around you. Because when the storm comes, you can't just stand on your own effort and your own ability. You have to believe and have people around you that when you doubt, they help and support you and you them. Get in the ark. Get in a circle group. Start to walk in community. Yeah, but God, that'll take some time out of my Sure will. So does building an ark. A lot of it. By faith, take the next step. On your outline, you've got to fill in the blank. It says, by faith, I will. Why don't you write down what you would think is God's next step for you? What would you do by faith? What's your next step? For some of you in this room, that next step is moving from believing the possibility that there could be a God to believing that Jesus is God and he's coming back and that he loved you enough to take your sin upon himself on the cross and pay for it and cancel it out. But he offers you a gift of eternal life. He offers you the gift of forgiving you of all your sins. 
but as a good creator, he says there's no love unless there's choice. And so you need to choose to take that last. I've done all the work. I've hit the home run. I've run around first base and second base and third base. I've come all the way, one step away from home plate. And that's where you and I step toward him and say, God, you did it all. It is by grace that I've been saved through faith. Faith is the way that we are, is the medium through which we are saved. We give our faith into what Jesus did because he did all the work. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. We have faith in Jesus that he's the son of God, that his death on the cross paid the penalty for our sin. This is what it means by grace through faith. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Just think about your own life with me for just a moment. And if that's you today, that you've never taken that leap of faith, that step, it's really just a step toward relationship with God, saying, God, I, I believe you're out there. I believe you care about my life. And God, I, I believe that I can't fix it all. I believe I cannot stop my mortality. God, I believe that I cannot clean up my life without your help. And maybe today you take that step. If that's you today, you pray a prayer like this right where you're seated. Just pray, Jesus, today I give you me. By faith, I believe you died on the cross for me. And by faith, I believe you were buried and that you rose to new life, that you're God. I ask you to make me a new creation on the inside. Forgive me of everything wrong I've ever done and ever will do. Would you wash me as white as snow? Because today I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer, will you raise your hand anywhere around the room that today would be the day that you'd raise your hand? Obviously in the back, greatest decision you could ever make. It took a person standing on a stage for me to believe it. You might be up in the loft and you can just hold your hand up. One of my friends up there will see it. This is awesome, so good. Let me pray for us. God, we're so grateful for what you're doing in and through and among us. God, we thank you that in your grace, you kept the world going, that you allowed us to be here, that you cared enough about us to give your life to cancel out our sin, that God, you've created us in our soul to live forever, and we wanna live forever with you in the most perfect environment that will ever exist. And God, we wanna serve you and love you and lift you up and praise you because you alone are God. We pray this in Jesus' name, and together we said, Amen. Will you give it up for what God's doing in and through and among us? Good. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.